Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the eighth chapter of the Dhammapada, um, the eighth class in our 26th class structured study. This is on the Sahasavaga. Um, it, um, it, it follows, as, as you've seen, the Dhammapada, uh, one chapter builds on the next, builds on the next. And this follows nicely last, um, what is today? Saturday's class um, on the Arahantavaga, uh, where the Buddha teaches the qualities of an Arahant and how that an Arahant is, Arahanthood is developed by practicing pure Dhamma. And so that, that whole chapter relates to the importance of practicing the heartwood of the Dhamma. And then this, um, this emphasizes that point in, in some very interesting and significant ways, the subtitle is Simple Dhamma is Best, and it points to how simple the Dhamma is. And by following the direction here and in, in, in the Dhamma entirely, um, we're able to keep it simple. We keep it simple by not adapting, accommodating, or embellishing what the Buddha actually taught. The Buddha's words. Hearing one skillful word of true Dhamma that brings calm is better than a thousand foolish words. That relates to so many things. It relates directly to right effort. If we're going to put an effort in it and we're going to develop the Dhamma, we put that effort into the actual Dhamma practice as opposed to anything that is, a, that is an adaptation, an accommodation, or embellishment to the Dhamma, which is, unfortunately, any form of modern Buddhism. That's not to say that they're bad or good or anything. It's just different, but that needs to be acknowledged. It's something that the Buddha emphasized over and over again 2,600 years ago. So it's even more important today to keep the Dhamma pure. That's what, and you could see this chapter in every sutta that the Buddha ever taught when you understand the entire context. The Buddha continues. Hearing one skillful verse of true Dhamma that brings calm is better than a thousand foolish verses. Reciting one skillful verse that brings calm is better than reciting a thousand foolish verses. Again, the putting right effort. Putting right effort is also um, is also conserving our efforts, isn't it? Because we're not wasting our time and energy on things that are only a distraction, even though they might have the Buddhist label on it or a spiritual label or an altruistic label or a modern engaged Buddhist label. They're all distractions. If we want to be an awakened human being, we take to the Dhamma, and then we can address these other things that we might be interested in from an awakened point of view. Does everybody get that? We can be of much greater service to, to humanity if we simply awaken first. And that's an aspect of wise restraint, isn't it? It's an aspect of wise restraint that the Christian crusades and the modern jihadists are lacking. They want to save the world before they save themselves. 
that's foolish. And that's, what, that's the kind of foolishness that the Buddha is referring to here. Defeating thousands of people in battle is meaningless to the wise who have defeated ignorance themselves. Think about that one sentence in relate, relating to what's going on today. The world is filled with nine, whatever, how many people are, nine billion saviors. Nine billion saviors. Everybody has an idea and sees themselves as, as their purpose is to save humanity. Dukkha cannot be saved from. As a consequence of having a human life, there will be dukkha. It's that type of radical acceptance that brings the calm that, is, that cannot be gained by a thousand foolish words. It's only the Dhamma that brings that. The Buddha continues, A person well-restrained remains untouched by gods and divas. Again, common during the Buddhist time was this, this constantly constant appeal for salvation through gods and divas. And, and, all, and the, I mean, even you get into the Tibetan layers of Dhamma, and especially when they're influenced by the bone tradition, the, the, the intricacy of the, of the gods and goddesses and divas is, is mind-boggling. And then you're taught to pick, to pick five or six or seven or ten to pray to constantly. And that's all well and good. That's wonderful if that's what, you're, what you like to do with your life. But it's foolish according to the Buddha. It's foolish according to wise Dhamma practitioners. There's none of that in, in the Dhamma practice. There's only training on how to be a human being. That's it. Respect towards those of, of perfected minds for just one moment brings common understanding. Why? It's because it's, we're recognizing the truth in the world today. And all that we need to do is recognize it for just one moment and then we're on our way. Then we have, then we have our own inner direction. We know where to keep looking. Offering trinket, trinkets and sacrifice for hundreds of years only brings continued ignorance. For the uh, 600 years that I was practicing Buddhism before I came to the modern, before I came to what the Buddha taught, most of the practice, 99% of that trap practice is about handing out trinkets and other types of rituals as proof of my belief in, in the God Buddha. There's nothing there that can possibly change a troubled, ignorant mind, is there? I can offer all kinds of trinkets and sacrifices and engage in all types of rituals. There's nothing there that could change my mind. And my mind was the problem. My mind rooted in ignorance is the problem. And now a mind rooted in the Dhamma is the solution to that problem. Respect towards those of perfected minds for just one moment brings more common understanding than tending sacrificial fires for hundreds of years. Again, rites and rituals are just foolish. Respect for the excellent teaching of the wise brings true merit. True merit. There's so much talk about merit, again, during the Buddhist time and today. Uh, most of modern Buddhism, if you go to any of it, you'll hear about the accumulation of merit. Um, one that I was a particular, uh, I'm just trying to decide if I want to, identify it, and I won't. Um, one particular branch, and it's one of the most um, widely practiced forms of modern Buddhism, uh, 
teaches that everywhere. In fact, it hits you. Okay, I'm thinking about their, their center. Uh, as soon as you walk in the door, it, there's signs about the importance of merit. And it's interesting to them that when they're asking directly for merit, it hardly has anything to do with, with altruistic actions. Merit was based on how much money you give them. And it was actually asked that way. If you really want to gain merit, we need X and X. This, I mean, they were literally asking for thousands of dollars as a way of establishing merit to get yourself to Buddhist heaven. And this is one of the most widely practiced forms of Buddhism today. It's astonishing, isn't it, when you think about that? But again, when you think about that as a religion, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So to a mind that is troubled, always subject to confusion and distraction, creating a lot of fear for itself, and then having that fear compounded by your associations and what other people are, ta are teaching you. You can't help but engage in merit to get out of that, can you? Especially when someone says, you're doomed to the hells of fire. Even Buddhism teaches the same thing, that you're, you're going to burn in hell forever unless you awaken. In the Buddhist kind of hell. But your way out is through this type of merit. And again, whether it's financial servitude or just millions of bows as servitude, it's still servicing ignorance, isn't it? Buddha continues. Offerings in this world, seeking merit, brings none. It's the Buddha's words. Offering in this world, offering... <laughs> <laughs> Offerings in this world seeking merit brings none. Brings none. Better to live one day well concentrated and virtuous than to live a hundred years distracted and uncontrolled. Again, the Buddha was talking to the original Sangha. What else would he be talking about but, but fabricated dharmas of his time? And that's what we're still hearing today. Those The, the Buddha's words are still the same and they still reflect to outer fabricated dharmas. Better to live one day well concentrated and wise than to live a hundred years distracted and foolish. Better it is to live one day well-intentioned with right effort than to live a hundred years distracted and lazy. Better it is to live one day seeing the rise and fall of all phenomena <clears throat> than to live a hundred years never knowing the impermanence of all things. Excuse me. Now I'm going to read it again. And think about last year's study on of Vipassana, the structure study on introspective insight, what that was all about. Better it is to live one day seeing the rise and fall of all phenomena, including our thoughts, than to live a hundred years never knowing the impermanence of all things. Better it is to live one day free of ignorance than to live a hundred years dying in ignorance. The living death of ignorance. Better it is to live one day knowing the four truths than to live a hundred years in ignorance. It's the end of tonight's. Isn't that something? I mean, what an incredible chapter. Again, it's, I say this often, but it's one of those things that if you if you get a little bit off track, if you feel like you're losing your way a little bit, just take a few minutes and read that. And it just puts your mind back into this is what we do as Dharma practitioners. And it also reinforces. Something that a mind that's rooted in ignorance doesn't want anything to do with. And that... <laughs> it's hard to talk with these on. And that has to do with 
understanding the purity of this because it overcomes the corruption of the world. And again, making the correlation, corruption would, would by necessity need something uncorrupted, wouldn't it? As a counter. So it takes an uncorrupted Dhamma to counter the corruption of worldly fabrication. And it's just that way. David, how are you? Oh, let me go to, to Jane first. Let me go online first. Jane, how are you tonight? I'm fine. How are you, John? Good. Thank you for asking. Okay, well, I picked something out different from this. Um, the line that said, defeating thousands of people in battle is meaningless to the wise who have defeated ignorance in themselves. I never really thought of my Dhamma practice as a battle. But then I, I, I did some more thinking about this and I mean, at times it really is when you yep. have conditioned thinking that's deeply yep. embedded. I mean, it really is a battle to, you know, to let go. And the other things, too, in a battle, like the stakes are high. It's life and death. And, you know, with the Dhamma practice, it's, you know, you can have a life of calm or death of, you know, live in the death of ignorance. So it is a battle. Yeah, it is. But it's a gentle battle. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Good evening, David. And it's also a refined battle. Yeah. I have a friend, and she, her word suffers from anxiety. And you can see that she's put so much thought into it. <clears throat> and you can see, because of our practice, where... It, she's just a little bit off yeah. and she continues to have anxiety and she just misses just what we have in that refined battle of and I've seen people with anxiety here and you can see it lessen because yeah. it may not be a, a the end game of awakening but they're aware of that this is the right path. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that people can analyze and just be a little bit off in, in the, the answer. And again, you can only push them toward uh, what you know, which is your, your yeah. teachings and the Buddhist teachings. So uh, I just found that interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Great insight, David. Thank you for that. Kevin, how are you? Good to see you, John. Nice to see everybody here. Uh, I liked how you reread that line about the arising, better to acknowledge the arising and passing away of all phenomenon. And uh, it reminded me of the Sariputta Sutta when uh -huh. he's explaining that he was sensitive to the arising and passing away of all phenomenon and we almost can work in reverse from that teaching from Sarapuja because he also says prior to that he was sensitive to the sensation of unbinding you're sensitive to unbinding mm -hmm. and, sens and sensitive to cessation and, and that's what we do here you know that's how we are aware of the mm -hmm. the, the the arising and passing away of all phenomena mm -hmm. that's that's the real what we have to do as we continue this practice we have to mm -hmm deeper and keep the work up so yeah just that way thank you kevin rom <clears throat> you know when when we read the first sections there 
on on hearing the, the true Dharma and, and also on reciting the true Dharma. Um, I kind of look back on, on my, <laughs> my first years or so here where I would constantly try to kind of relate what I was hearing from from you to all the things that I, that I thought I already knew about about you know awakening and, and enlightenment and all that unintentionally though uh, yeah yep. well, conditioned it, thinking that's kind of how, how my mind worked yeah and uh, it took a while to realize that 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 by itself was not a way to approach the Dharma mm -hmm. um, but a common way, wouldn't it? But it's a common way to do yep. that. Uh, you know, you, you hear a, a nice quote and you think, "Oh yeah, that kind of fits in, in yep. into uh, you know that part." And and I, I you know I realize that kind of works with Zen. Um, and after a while, you realize that you're missing the point completely. That yeah. this is a complete teaching, yep. and there's really no need to to relate it to anything else. It's there yeah. and and it works. And um, you have to leave it alone because yeah. you to, you know, if you don't do that, you'll never get to the to the, the bottom of it. Um, it's because it's intricate. Yeah. It all fits together like like a perfect puzzle. Yeah, it does. It's the way it's set it up. You know, read, read the, we just talked about the Nagata Sutta. You read that and you realize that, oh yeah, it, you know, even in something like what you think is as basic as the Eightfold Path, every step in there fits with everything else. Yeah. Um, so, um, but it took a while for me to, to get, get out of that and it's, it's an intellectual approach. Yep. Um, it's, when you finally get to, to apply the Dharma and, and, and see it working in, in your own life, you, you see the, the, the peace and calm finally pervading your life, then you realize that all that, that intellectual pursuit is just complete distraction. Yeah. It just stops you from... from, uh, from really getting getting what the Dharma is. Yeah. Yeah. It beautifully said and so important, Ron. The the uh it, it what you're describing is the common problem that nearly everyone has with the Dharma. Um and that's why right effort is so important. You just have to continue because I mean, we had plenty of conversations, but what I was saying to you two years in didn't really make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But it did four years in, didn't it? Or right. whatever the you know over time but that, again that the re, re, repetition is so important staying with it is so important but also being it as with that at peace as at peace as you can with that mind that's still conflicted in the beginning mm -hmm. because that's where that's why people don't continue the a mind rooted in ignorance wants to continue to ignore its own ignorance and when you come up against something that's such a challenge to ignorance there's a natural aversion and natural resistance to it and we'll come up with all kinds of scenarios as to why we don't like it. And, you know, that, that, that's somewhat individual. But the only solution is to keep going. That's yeah. all we can do. And, you know, I, I leave it at that. But you cannot, 
you can give people in the, in the Sangha through this, through this particular chapter, you get a good idea of what this is all about. And it's inspiring to, uh, to, to some people, but to other people, it's not. And it sounds like a bunch of nonsense and something I don't want anything to do with. Those are, and again, it's, people aren't bad or wrong or even ignorant in a general sense. It's just that that's where the conditioned mind is. It won't even allow them. That's what the Buddha is referring to as more than a speck of dust in their eyes. Right. It comes across as, as negative in yep. a lot of this. Uh, you know, you know, all, you know, all the talk about foolishness is, is, comes across like that. Yeah, it, it does. Um, even when I was doing these translations, or, and so I'm going talking going back early on, and looking at, you know, foolish, I could have used some other words for that. But when you understand what the Buddha is saying, that's the only word to use. And so it's not offensive. It's just, it's right. It's authentic. It gets to the point. And, uh, and I we, remember you, you uh, use unskillful quite a lot in, in, in earlier. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the, the, the courage of my convictions quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Julia, how are you tonight? Very good, John. Thank you. Um, I, I like the, the way he, the Buddha makes such a comparison. Better to live, you know, on, you know, one moment, one one breathing moment of, of life in calmness, as opposed to like a thousand years, a thousand days, or a hundred years in the living suffering of hell. <laughs> because yeah. that's what it's like, you know. And uh, the example, well, when I think of myself. There are some times that I reach that level of jhana where we experience that that level of peace. Yeah, it's so true. You can see you you feel that that level of serenity, and that's the moment that he's talking about. That's the, the peace and calm, you know, that we experience. Better that one moment than all of our existence living in in suffering and not understanding uh, the impermanence of life. You know, uh -huh. being in ignorance. So I I love this. This is very beautiful the way he put it. Yeah. It really it's very is very impactful, you know. Yeah, it, the, the whole dumb pot is like that too. Though. Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you, Julia. Michael. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, you said something here, John, earlier that was very uh, I liked it a lot, and uh, you said the mind rooted in ignorance is the problem. Mind rooted in the Dhamma is the solution. Very nicely put. Um, I've been thinking a lot about my mind rooted in ignorance. And we know that a mind rooted in ignorance, if we, if we don't recognize that our mind is rooted in ignorance, we're not going to be able to make much progress going forward with the Dhamma until we address the root of the ignorance, our conditioned thinking, our conditioned reaction. As we know, ignorance is the first step of dependent origination. So it's imperative to understand the root of the ignorance and to actually recognize it so that we become dispassionate uh, and disenchanted with the fact that we've been living ignorant for, again, for basically all, all our lives until we have that recognition. Mm -hmm. 
So I've been trying to understand what that does. And this comes from the aggregates. Uh, in the aggregates, we become uh, dischanted and dispassionate with that self that's rooted in ignorance. So from there... May I sit back? Sure. From under, will you say that again? From understanding the aggregates. From understanding the aggregates, we realize we become disenchanted yes, and yes, dispassionate yes. about who we are, who we have been. That's us rooted in ignorance. Once we become disenchanted and dispassionate, that's the recognition of our own ignorance. Yes. From that point on, when we recognize our own ignorance, then we can we can keep things in perspective. And it's actually I kind of look at it like that's the, the point whereupon we embark on the eightfold path, having recognized our ignorance and saying, "I'm not doing that again. I'm not living that's that lifestyle it. again." Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going in a different direction. Now that eightfold path is not an easy path to travel, and it's not to say that like, you know, we'll take one step forward, two steps back. But now we're practicing the Dhamma, and we've, we've addressed the point of ignorance, and we're conscious of it. But we're I, we're we're given our our right effort on that eightfold path and continuing on it, so that we can reach the other shore. Yeah. We could reach the far shoreline instead of instead of not recognizing our ignorance and running along the shore. We recognize our ignorance. We instill the eightfold path, and we make our way to the other shoreline, which yeah. is the journey. I think. Yeah, just, it, it beautifully said, Michael. It it, it, it's, it it is just that way. You know, the the eightfold path it seems difficult at at first. Um, and maybe even at second and third, but we underst- when we understand that the point of the eightfold path is to recognize and abandon ignorance, that's all the direction we need, isn't it? And that's just what you're saying. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Tim, good to see you tonight. Good to see you. Good to see everybody. Um, yeah, I, I like that you said um, Dhammapada. It does seem like it's a added on each chapter yeah it's a continuation um and so with the context of last week or saturday um and to what michael was saying i got a time stamp out of this if you will where the buddha was emphasizing the cycle of dependent origination and then having rebirth and karma, the karma, with it, with the lines where he's talking about better to live one day well concentrated and virtuous than to live a hundred years distracted and uncontrolled. And then it goes onward. When you live distracted and uncontrolled, when you live distracted and foolish, you're going through that cycle of dependent origination. You're born of ignorance. Yeah. So each moment, each moment, when you have that one day that one moment of concentration that's well concentrated that's pure that's with right intention or um, right view you stop that process that cycle 
we stop that cycle. So all the car, then there's the, the karma, that karma stops. Okay, that you, you're no longer in that washing machine of, of yeah. suffering. Yeah. And so I thought that that was a, a, an interesting segue that he, he went, that the Buddha went from kind of warning us with the, the importance of the focus and the right effort, and the use of wise restraint, and then the importance of impermanence and time. Yeah. And kind of interplaying that. And I found that very much like what we were talking about Saturday about the cycle, that cycle of nature, the cycle of things, that everything is so cyclical in nature, yeah. in life. And so is, so is dependent origination. And when you stop that cycle, you're now free. Yep. You're unbounded. Yep. And maybe I'm reading into too much, but that, I kind of got oh. that feeling from this chapter that that's what the Buddha was trying to emphasize for me at least. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, in general, he's emphasizing do the Dhamma. <laughs> you know, right don't do anything else. You know, we're here to do this. Let's do it. Let's get to the, let's get to the far shore. It's right. just that way. And it's easy to recognize. It is easy to recognize when you when you can see the when you can block that ignorance. When you when you recognize that you're in that cycle of dependent origination, you can get off. You can. It's easy to see. It's easy to see, and to and then you have to make the right effort to correct it. Yep. And. and, and and so the solution to getting off the path is getting is getting back on the path, isn't it? It sounds so obvious, but it's so difficult for so many. It is. But that that's 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 an aspect of greed. It's aversion. Yeah. I've tried it. I don't. It sounds good, but I don't really like it. And I think that bald-headed teacher is a moron. There's the aversion. Yeah. Instead of what 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 uh, Michael was just saying, you recognize the value in it, and so you go ahead. Those with a little dust in their eyes. But it's gradual too. It's not just it, people with a lot of dust in their eyes. What I've seen can lose some of that dust they, over time if, if they stay with it. Uh, I, you could even make that metaphor apply to wrong. But you, you, eventually, the dust gets washed out if you stay with it. You know. Well, Michael, Michael said I think last week that I don't know. I don't want to misquote you, but you said <laughs> you said. How, how has it been going for you so far? Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. That's the dust in your eye. You know, the, yeah. the, that, that's the thing you say to yourself. Like, you know, am I going to go through this again? Am I going to torture myself again? Yeah. <laughs> or am I going yeah, right. to take the Dhamma? And the, the recognition of your own suffering yeah. is as important because yeah. a lot of people will not even recognize the fact that they are in misery. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and if you have the 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 honesty and and the intelligence to to see your own suffering, that's that's the, the like the jumping off point where you say, okay, you know, uh, yeah, maybe I should go uh, find something that really works. Yeah, that's the, the the point you're talking about, Ron. Is you're actually again embarking upon the eightfold path mm -hmm. because yeah. the previous the previous path is. is through a, uh -huh. through a thicket of, uh, you know, I don't know. And to what Rom's saying is that's that's the ability to put that ego aside. That's yes, absolutely wrong. Oh, yeah. That's the mission yeah. of the ego. That <laughs> exactly. Is, that, mm -hmm. that whole, you know, from our birth to this point of this jump jump off point, that's the ego self, and that's the one that 
that has caused us pain and suffering up to the point of like, hey, how, how, you know, this has beaten me up my whole life. Why just let this down, you know, and try something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Good recognition, understanding you have of yeah. it. You know? mm-hmm. You people are remarkable. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> that teacher that's remarkable. Brad, how are you tonight? Uh, good, good to be here. Um, it definitely is a place I need to be. Uh, me too. Kind of one of these days where I was stuck in the washing machine and uh, knowing that I had to get out and, uh, you know, and, and, and with the greed of wanting more and kind of not, you know, accepting things the way they were. Just the greed of wanting more, wanting to do bigger things with life and all that stuff and realize, you know, and not, and not seeing what I have. And I, you know, I was just kind of stuck in that a lot today. And but knowing I was there too, which was painful because <clears throat> I've been practicing a lot, and I I know where there's a lot of aversion, um, but it's just trying to put aside the ego and say this is you know this is my ego self that just won't drop this. And that's, yeah. So, it, so coming here and hearing this sutta and hearing everybody talk is just like all right, well, you know you, you you put it down and then come back to your breath and then that's it. Yeah. There's nothing else besides that. Do you notice a different quality of your mind now as opposed to three hours ago? Yeah. That's the the reason why I bring it up is to to notice it. Recognize. Recognize your own efforts and the the, the, the skillfulness of the Dhamma in, in creating that, not creating it, having the foundation for your own development of that. It's just a, and it's also a powerful lesson on impermanence, Brett. Yeah. You know, this is how quick a mind can change. Yeah, it's just realizing what, you know, what's happening. And I know, it, I know what's happening all day, you know. Yeah. But now you have, you have the additional knowledge of the Dhamma and what it can yeah. do for you. The direct experience of it, Ehepasiko. This is, what you're describing is what the Buddha means by Ehepasiko. You have to come and see it, and you you do. You've also developed the framework to the point where you can see this. You can see the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, thank you, Brett. Thank you. The uh, going around the room. I guess I'm gonna have to say something like this every class now. But the common theme that you're all talking about is wise restraint, isn't it? You're and you're talking about the use of wise restraint in bringing different insights into each and every one. You, you apply, no, you gather different insights to the Dhamma all by practicing wise restraint. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's really becoming clear, uh, somebody used the word intricate, I don't remember who it was, mm-hmm. but you're describing the, the intricate mosaic of the Dhamma in such clear terms. You're, you're seeing... You know, you're seeing the, the 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 ties there. You're seeing how one one intricate, subtle aspect relates to the other, and so you've created this. You've created the the mosaic of the Dhamma within your own mind, and it's uh, again, it's really remarkable. We were talking. We had a teachers' meeting tonight, and we're and Jen, as you know, Jen taught a couple classes ago, and she was so effective as a teacher. Because she has developed the Dhamma. It's, it's just that way. I mean, if you're going to be, if you want to be a, um, uh, a golf teacher, you can learn how to swing a golf club and go out and do it. But there's not, you don't really have to have any inner knowing unless you want to be a great teacher like Mo Norman. Kevin would know who I'm talking about. There's something you can, you can know a subject or you can own a subject. 
and but you can't teach the Dhamma by just knowing it. You have to own it. If you just know it a little bit, you're probably going to teach Tibetan or Zen Buddhism. If you own it, you're going to teach the Dhamma. The Buddha owned the Dhamma. The original Sangha, they owned the Dhamma. 2,600 years ago, Cross River Meditation Center Sangha owns the Dhamma. And we know it because we can talk about it in this way. We can say, this is where it worked for me. And each and every one of you pointed out a different aspect of the Dhamma, but all rooted in wise restraint and all rooted in understanding the intricate mosaic of the Dhamma. So, you know, to all of you, it really is remarkable. Um, okay. The, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, Kevin's going to teach our next Dhammapada next, a week from tonight. Saturday I'll be teaching um, one of the greatest suttas of all time, so make sure you come for that. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to try to get Angela Miller done, but don't don't be upset with me if I don't make it. Um, if not, it'll it'll be it'll be something. It will be the world's greatest teaching come Saturday, so, no matter what. Um, and I mentioned all of that you know our, our retreat is on. Um, I'll get uh, I'll get an email out just regarding that again because it's been quite a while since we've even uh, addressed that. But I'll get that out in a week or so. Um, I think that's it. You know, we'll finish with uh, Meta as we always do. These are the Buddha's words on Meta from the Karaniya Meta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you, John. 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 See you soon. Bye, guys. Bye, John. Bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com.
Thank you. Peace.